0: Hello there, and welcome back to Beats by Social Work. I'm Kristen. And I'm Tiffany, your host for the show. We're so glad you came back. And for those who are tuning in for the first time, check out episode one to learn more about who we are. But a brief summary, we are both certified clinical transplant social workers who specialize in all things heart transplant and LVAD, also known as left ventricular assist device.
1: Our goal is to talk all the things transplant and LVAD, From the social work perspective, and to bring the human element back into the world of transplant for our fellow social workers and our patients,
0: as well as professionals who may stumble in. As a reminder, we are social workers, but we are not your social worker. So we hope topics discussed here will lead you to further discussions within your own transplant team. Hi, Beats by Social Work listeners. Welcome back. As always, we like to connect the world of transplant and bring the human element back to transplant. So we have an interesting and wonderful guest with us, and we are going to start by introducing the mission of Lifebulb and Alicia, our guest, and how she fits into that. So welcome, Alicia. And Tiffany, if you'll start with the mission. Yeah, so uh, Alicia works for
1: Transplant Life, but this is a subsidiary of Lifebulb, which is an innovation accelerator that bridges the gap between patient communications and healthcare industry by working directly with patients and care partners to generate insights, build new solutions, and bring revolutionary products to the market. Uh, Transplant Life, as I said, is a subsidiary born from Lifebulb. Um, Transplant Life advocates for patient-driven intervention they're thinkers, innovators, they're patients and care partners themselves.
0: So Alicia, I got this bio off of the off of the transplant life website and so I I think it's a great bio. But Alicia is a fiery, poetic redhead living on the Canadian prairies. After complications due to a metabolic liver condition, she was diagnosed shortly after birth. She received a liver transplant in August of 2020. Thanks to the generous gift of life from not one but two donors, Alicia has begun what she calls the beautiful second life. She is a grief embodiment worker, speaker, and writer, raising awareness for organ donation and medical trauma. She is also a trauma and grief doula. She lives with her husband and their rescue puppy and is a lover of coffee and all things cozy. Aren't we all? And so clearly we stole this from the above website, like we already said, but can you tell us a little bit about you from your own words and how you got into this community?
2: Yeah. Um, so like it says in my Lifeful bio, bio, um, I was born with metabolic liver condition. So I was born with glycogen storage disease and I was diagnosed at four months old, so right after I was born, and I spent most of my growing up years in the hospital. So while most people made friends and went to school, my friends were the doctors and nurses, and I would run through the hospital hallways and the playrooms, and that's kind of where I grew up. So the medical world raised me in a sense. That's where I was my home. It's where I went to school. And I became really aware of the medical industry and what everyone did and how everything fit together. And as I got older, I started to try to figure out where I fit in all of that as a patient and with my understanding of things and being involved in my own care so I, I grew up, I went to college, and that's when things kind of started to take a turn for the worst, or so they say. And in 20, 2018, I unexpectedly uh, became pregnant and we lost our son. But I got very, very sick during my pregnancy. And that's kind of what kickstarted my need into needing a liver transplant. Uh, my body couldn't handle everything that was going on. I My liver shut down. And my son was born in March. And right after that, they listed me for transplant. Um, So then I was thrown into an entirely new medical world of what transplant meant and what everybody did and how everything fit together there. Because I thought I had a solid understanding. And I realized it's a completely different world when you switch over to transplant. Uh, So I was on... They listed me for for liver. I was on the wait list for a year and a half. Um, And originally, my brother was supposed to be my donor. He was going to be a living donor for me. And everything, we thought everything was going to be great. And during surgery, there were complications for both of us. And I didn't even make it out of the OR before I was relisted. Mm -hmm. So they... Yeah, things were not looking well for me in that initial surgery. They actually told my family, you know, things look really bad right now. Mm. Um, I was moved to number one in need in all of Canada. Mm. Um, and three days later, I got my second transplant. Ooh, that liver came from a deceased donor across mm-hmm. the country. I don't know who who my donor was, but they saved my life a second time when I got my wow. second transplant. And that's kind of how I fell into the world of transplant is I had this chaotic, crazy, traumatic story and I knew I needed to do something with it. I couldn't just let this be my story and then go home and go back to the life that I was living before. I mm-hmm. felt like I had to do something with that. I had to help other people who were also going through this situation and I had to make all of that pain and loss mean something. Um, mm. So as soon as I got clear to return back to work, I left my job and what I was doing before. And I went straight into transplant advocacy. And I was like, Nope, this is what I want to do with my life. Really? And I linked up with some amazing people right away. And that kind of all brought me to where I am now. So now I, I live and work and breathe and do all things transplant and trauma and grief and storytelling. And that's my life.
0: Oh, that's wow. wonderful. And thank you so much for sharing it with us and with the community as a whole. I'm just so glad that you really are encompassing your resiliency. And so so we wanted to read a passage from your article. So I'll turn it over to Tiffany. The article was titled Rebirth, and it was a beautiful article. Thank
1: you. Yes. And so if you will, we're going to read a little passage from it. And, you know, we to to figure out a way to shorten it, but it just, it's too good to shorten. So (laughs) we're going to read what our our audience can can listen to. So this is from you, your words. The last thing I remember before that moment was waiting to be taken into the OR. I'd already crossed the sterile line through the double doors into a place where I had to do this alone. There was no one to carry me across the threshold. No one to sit beside me and hold my hand as I crossed over from one life to the next. It was only me alone. I stared at the ceiling and I tried not to cry. I concentrated on the sounds of the nursing shift changeover, with the morning nurses shuffling and their hands full of coffee, and the night nurses with their tired eyes grabbing their bags and heading towards the door. Back out of the land of transition, back into the world of living. Something about waiting in that OR felt like sacred and holy ground. I kept waiting for someone to walk through the doors that I knew, for someone to come and talk to me, to relieve me of my fears. But every moment I waited pressed into me the moment that I was alone for this part. And then I remember waking up for all intents and purposes. I was alone for this part too. I had to carry myself over the threshold. I had to cross over all of my own from one life to the next. The act of healing is solidarity and a journey. Doctors and nurses and loved ones cared for me. But in the end, this work was the kind I needed to do alone. And so I woke up in this formless nothing and I don't remember much except that I felt new life stirring inside of me. There's no good way to describe it, for I felt like I was alive again. Right where my liver rests, I could feel what felt like growing amber light that cradled my body from the inside out. It was like death, but better. It was rebirth. And I know I didn't do that justice, but those words are
0: just so powerful. Can you speak more about medical trauma and the solitary journey of chronic illness and transplant? That's more what I really want to hear more about from this particular story, because it's written so beautifully.
2: Yeah. That's a really good question. (laughs) Um, I was born in, well, I was born in the generation of like the 90s and you don't talk about it. You know, it's like you don't go to therapy, you don't talk about your trauma, you just kind of push through. And I don't think it ever really occurred to anyone at that point that someone who grew up in the medical setting was going to have trauma. It was a very much you do what you need to do and it gets done and you push through and then you move on to the next thing. And it wasn't until... I was probably in my late teens before I realized medical trauma was even a thing. I knew I wasn't okay, but no one was talking about it. So I felt like I had to be okay. And I had to put on that brave face and pretend everything was fine. And everybody was looking at me like, you know, they all kind of expected something from me. And I didn't want to let anybody down. And I learned that I had to be what everybody else wanted me to be. And it wasn't safe for me to say, this is not okay. And the more I started talking about it and putting feelings to this not okayness, I realized nobody else felt this because no one else knew what it was like to grow up in a hospital in this kind of setting. This was before social media. There was no way of like, nobody could connect with each other. And I was just kind of my own. It was just me, which was incredibly isolating to know that nobody around me could really relate to what I was going through. And in a sense, it kind of gave me like the courage and independence. And I had to learn how to rely on myself because no one else was going to do it. It was
0: Mm -hmm. like a blessing
2: and a curse at the exact same time.
0: Mm, Interesting. So why is it important for healthcare workers and just the general community to learn more about medical trauma?
2: go back to, I don't think anyone knew when I was growing up. I don't think anyone even really knows now. It's becoming more of a thing that people are talking about. Yeah. But when you go through an illness or a transplant or whatever, there is a large loss that surrounds like your sense of autonomy and your ability to do things for yourself and all of a sudden there's people poking you with needles and maybe you don't understand why and there's uncomfortable and pain and things are happening to your body and if you don't have an understanding of that like any of those things can be traumatic and feeling like you're not in control of what's happening to you Mm -hmm. and that trauma it doesn't go away once you're out of the hospital it stays in your body Mm -hmm. and it lives in you so then when you're back in that situation I get labeled all the time as a difficult patient. And I try to say what I am is not a difficult patient. I'm a traumatized patient. I've been in this situation so many times. I've been traumatized by, you know, especially when I was little, being held down because I had to get an IV put in. I didn't understand what was happening, but this hurt and it wouldn't stop. And I feel like that understanding, it's not that people are trying to be difficult. They have experiences that Healthcare providers, you don't really know anything about when a person walks through the doors of the ER. You're not going to sit there and be like, What are your past experiences and your traumas? So I can help you. Mm-hmm. But understanding that, I think it gives a layer of compassion when you're dealing with people to understand that they're human. And, you know, when you're operating from that, traumatic place you're operating from instinct you're not thinking right so it's being able to understand where people are coming from and then how can we use maybe better language or you know explain what you're doing to try to minimize the amount of trauma that is in that situation going forward
0: exactly
1: you know one of the things that you mentioned too as you were talking about it is it was in a time where you felt alone and there wasn't the social media to connect to and things of that nature tell us more have you connected with your people have you have you found a tribe now and you know how how much of a difference has that
2: made yes so now obviously social media is a very a very big thing and it's everywhere and it's all everybody ever talks about I was that person I think it was maybe a couple days after my Transplant. I was holding my phone inches away from my face, like going through Instagram searching like hashtag liver transplant (laughs) because I was desperate to find somebody that was like me. And because of social media, Naidu hashtag and you can find other people that are in similar situations and so that's how I found my original community As I looked them up on Instagram and Facebook and I was just so desperate for anybody that had a similar story to what I had and who would be able to show me insight into what my future might look like Um Yeah, that's originally how I found my people and that's how I connected with Lifebulb for the first time was actually through Instagram and the connections that I made there. And now we have our own social media platform, which is Transplant Life and the community of people that gather there and share so authentically their transplant journeys is definitely I feel like I found my people in a place that we, we don't have to pretend to be anything other than what we are mm-hmm. in the moment, which is so, so valuable. I feel like when you're going through your transplant journey of just having that authenticity and ability to share what it's really like behind behind the scenes.
0: No, you're absolutely right. And I want to reference another article that you wrote, um, What Does Life After a Transplant Look Like? Because you shared an incredible story about Willow Pill. Mm -hmm. And so can you tell the audience a little more about Willow and your discussion with her?
2: Yes, this is one of my favorite moments that I've had as a transplant recipient. So Willow is also a transplant recipient. She had a kidney transplant and she is a drag queen. And she was on the most recent season of RuPaul's Drag Race. So she brought amazing representation to the transplant community. And she was just sharing her story through, you know, this show that's on TV. And she was talking about what it's really like to have a transplant and how it affects so many areas of your life, not just your physical health, but your mental health and your emotional health and all of these things so I was able to I actually just sent an email and said hey I'm a transplant recipient and I love what you're doing bringing representation to our community and I got a message back and it's like hey do you want to chat do you want to have a phone call so I called her and I was able to talk with her um, and we just talked about like representation and how important it is to have those outlets when you are a mm-hmm. transplant recipient and you're dealing with chronic illness and then to be able to be authentic in what it looks like to share that in a way that like it's not performative or you're not trying to be something you're not and the beauty in that and the value in that and that's yeah among my favorite moments she is an amazing human being but then to know that transplant is being talked about on such a big stage like RuPaul's Drag Race by you know it's bringing it to a wider audience and that was something That I care deeply about and so does Willow So I loved having that being able to talk to her
1: that's amazing. That's, you know, when I write to people that are talking about transplant, I don't get responses, but I, um, I too write into shows sometimes when they try to represent transplant, but because they're doing it in a negative light and uh, I don't get responses, but I do every time because that's <laughs> how you try to make change is when they, when they show transplant and it's done incorrectly. Mm-hmm. I feel it's my, my purpose to
0: let them know. No, that's a good point. And uh, it's both sides of the same coin, right? You, we mm-hmm have to correct certain misnomers of transplant and, but also celebrate when it is acknowledged the right way. And so another question that I have for you was what was the hardest part for you post transplant in finding a new normal or what were some of the challenges that you faced as you went through that journey of discovering new normal?
2: Mm. I feel like there were so many, there were so many hard parts. My life completely flipped upside down to uh, there was such a distinction between who I was before transplant and who I was after transplant. It's like a joke in my family that I just, I got a new personality. Like I was a completely different person with my transplant uh, because I think it was the first time in my life that I felt somewhat healthy. Like I'd been sick my entire Mm -hmm. life and it was so much Symptom management and hospital stays That now I got room For to have other things in my life And to explore other things And to figure out who I was And that exploration was really really hard I kind of think of it like a bird That's in a birdcage And then they open the door And it's like okay now fly away But I'm like but what am I supposed to do I've never been outside of this cage In my entire life yeah, the, the entire world felt so dangerous to me. Mm. And then it's like, okay, they handed me this liver. And they're like, this is all the trouble that we went through to get it. And it was such a struggle. But here you go. Just just walk out the door and live your life. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, but what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do with it? How do I like make sure it's safe? And yeah, it felt like a, a big scary world. And then I felt like I was just thrown out into it. And I didn't know how to cope with that. I didn't know there was going to be an emotional adjustment of figuring out what the world was going to be like now and where I was going to belong and how to keep myself safe. It was that was a really hard adjustment that nobody ever really prepared me for Mm. was, you know, integrating back into the world Mm -hmm. or into the world for the first time is what it felt like.
1: Yeah, learning who you are, I think that is something that, you know, we talk about with our patients uh, quite frequently. Now, and it's one of the one of the probably most difficult things, especially for my young adult population, is who am I if I'm not the sick one? "Quote unquote." Yeah. And how do I huge. be healthy? And so how did you work through that? How did you get to that point of
2: rediscovering yourself or just
1: discovering yourself? Well,
2: I have a really amazing therapist. <laughs> And she was amazing. I highly recommend that for everybody that's going through like a major life change, medical or otherwise. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it really started with, I started telling my story and it started out just being for me and I would journal. But I started telling my medical story and then it turned into the story of my life and I would connect pieces together and I would notice things and I would say, oh, I want to write about that. And I would just I almost took it as like a mission of I'm going to go and I'm going to find something that inspires me, that lights me up, that I'm really excited about Mm -hmm. and I'm going to notice what it feels like and I'm going to notice the emotion surrounding it and then I'm going to go write about it. And eventually it didn't become so much of something I had to do. It just became who I was. I became a person that I really like to go out and notice beautiful things. I like to be in the moment and see what it feels like. I really like to write about my stories and then I would share them and they would connect with other people. And then we would have that joint connection of someone else saying, oh, I experienced this too. So storytelling was really the path for me in coming back to life. Oh, that's beautiful.
0: And it also reflects the importance of journaling too, because Mm. I I mean, I I don't know about you, Tiffany, but I always challenge my patients to journal when, especially patients that are in the hospital for a long time and sitting with some of the emotions in their body, it can be very challenging too, especially when you do feel like a bird in a cage. And, but I mean, there's so much evidence behind it showing that it is Mm. beneficial. Oh yeah. It's a regular task. And since we're talking a little bit more about the identity that you have a Adopted for yourself and and coming to know who you are please tell me more about being a trauma and grief doula that is very interesting and can you share a memorable experience in that work that you have been doing
2: yeah I definitely didn't start out as this is what I'm gonna do it really was part of the following the breadcrumbs that I feel like had kind of been left out for me and it started with the loss of my son as I mentioned and I got into the pregnancy loss world And I talked to a lot of other parents and a lot of other moms that were in similar situations, and one of the common themes that came up there was the lack of trust in your body and feeling like your body failed you. And I was like, oh, I know that feeling from the chronic illness community, and I put two and two together. Uh, my first grief training that I did was actually for pregnancy loss, and it was a pregnancy loss grief support training. So I did that, and then I followed it to the next thing that felt like a like a full body yes for me, which was an embodiment training. So I did that, and at the same time, I was getting into the transplant world, and then I did, there was a training on death and loss. So I did that, and I kind of followed it all the way through. And it really fits into the work that I do now, which I work with a lot of transplant patients, and that carries a really unique grief with it. But it never started out as, oh, I want to do trauma and loss and doula and walk people through this situation. I really just followed what I felt was the next right thing. And I'll put all the little pieces together and they kept lining up. Obviously, one of the most memorable moments for me is every time someone says, I thought I was the only one. Wow, yeah. It's so wow. nice to know that there's someone else out there who's dealing with this. I thought it was alone. Those moments, every time they happen, are really, really powerful. Um, I've been able to follow some people through the entirety of their transplant journey from being listed to when they have received their transplant. And that's always such a beautiful thing to walk people through with seeing Not only the physical journey of, you know, pre-transplant to post-transplant, but the emotional journey that they go through as they step into themselves and figure out who they are and learn how to advocate and ask all of these questions. Yeah. A proud mama bear moment every time (laughs) that that happens. Or just even when people feel more empowered to share parts of their story and then knowing that has helped someone else. Like I was working with someone and she decided she was going to share part of her story and then someone reached out to her and said because you shared I felt less alone Mm -hmm. and that really felt like a full circle moment. So I really just love seeing like the personal the growth that happens in people as they begin to process their own grief and trauma and then make strides and advocating for themselves and just putting their story out there and letting it be known.
1: Yeah, Mm -hmm.
2: that's amazing. And it's something that we feel as well
1: as social workers, you know, when we're working and processing that with the patients of when they when they do begin to start processing, and then watching them, watching them help other people, and especially those that had challenging stories, and seeing them turn that around. The question for you, and in that same token is, did you have a social worker going through your journey at all? Were they involved?
2: Yes, I did have a social worker Um, I didn't get to know her a ton Just because of the nature of my transplant journey And I ended up being unconscious for a large Mm -hmm. part of it But I met her um, pre-transplant We talked a couple of times And I know she was a really huge resource for my husband and my parents When I was unconscious Just giving them resources and places they could connect to And caregiver support groups Um, So she was definitely far more involved that way I did Mm -hmm. talk to her a couple of times post-transplant but by then I had already kind of like transitioned out of the hospital and into more outpatient and now I have my outpatient and long-term care social worker. So it's a little bit different. But
1: yeah. Yeah. Do you feel that because that social worker was so involved with your family that there was they were kind of that social worker for your family and that you weren't able to connect as much?
2: In this situation I really did. Um, mm-hmm. because there wasn't really a way that anybody could communicate with me. I was in such a state of crisis and everybody's main concern was let's keep her alive. But I was sedated. I was on a vent. I was, I was in such a fragile state that really at that point it did become community care and all of the emotional support and everything went to everybody that was around me mm-hmm. because I I couldn't use it. I didn't need it at that point. What I needed was the physical interventions that kept me alive. But I'm really glad that my family and my loved ones were supported in that way because that's what they needed at that time to be there for me. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's something that we always
1: ask ourselves, you know, of working with the family so closely during that time when the patient can't be engaged. Do they feel then when they are able to be engaged, they can engage with us directly or still allowing their family to have that support and that connection? I like to ask those questions because I like to see, you know, rooms for improvement for for us always as well Mm -hmm. from the patient
0: perspective. Yeah. So what is it something that you wish people would know about being a transplant recipient?
2: It is not all sunshine and
0: rainbows.
2: (laughs) There's this idea out there that you get your transplant and then you're good and life is great and you just like smooth sailing and that is not how it works. There is a large amount of follow up and there's like the medications that you take every day and then... I feel like I'm calling my coordinator all the time just to ask questions of, can I do this? Is it safe to take this medication? Should I be doing this? Yeah. Transplantation isn't a cure. There is, it's -hmm. just different symptoms and side effects to handle. It's not better. It's worse. It's, it's different. And for a lot of people it is, it's a better quality of life and a second chance at life, but it's not the same life you would have if you were born into a healthy body or if you were just healthy to begin with, like it's very different. And not everything goes away the second you get a transplant And you're magically better It's still so much work that you have to put into Sustaining that gift of life that you were given
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you're exactly I love it I say rainbows and butterflies is my analogy Because yeah. it is, it's, you're still you and you still have bad days. There's still things that are going to make you mad, make you frustrated. Um, yeah, and, sure. and the misconception of, well, you can't be mad or frustrated because you have a transplant. Nope. And it's, you
2: for sure can.
0: Yes. all the time. I yes. have a lot
1: of bad days. <laughs> yep. So speaking of being able to have resources at those times, what are some of the benefits of being
2: involved in transplant life? Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. So Transplant Life is, we have an amazing active community of a lot of transplant patients. Our community is primarily transplant patients, but it's also for caregivers and donors and medical professionals. And really we just give each other that peer-to-peer support that you don't get in a medical setting. My doctors are great. My medical team is great. They will never understand what it is like to be a patient because Mm -hmm. they're not one. They have great medical knowledge. And when I need that, that's where I'm going to go. If I need someone to understand that, I'm having a really bad day And I don't want to take my meds today I'm going to go talk to another transplant patient Mm -hmm. I want to know from somebody who's been there First of all that I'm not the only one that has felt like this But then what did you do in that situation? What worked for you? What can I possibly try that has worked for other people and being able to resource a community that gets it and has lived experiences in these things and knows what it feels like in your body I wouldn't trade that wisdom for the world that is invaluable in my opinion and just having people that get it sometimes the what you need most is to know that you're not alone and that's what transplant life really provides people
0: well said. So do you what resources would you like to share with our listeners um, for anyone that is out there that wants to learn more specifically about medical trauma and what it's like to be a transplant recipient or transplantation in general?
2: Yeah, we talk a lot about this on... Transplant life. I mean, obviously, there's questions of everything that has to do with transplantation that you could ever want to know. No topic is really off limits. And we talk about everything over there. We talk about medical trauma. We talk about the day to day of being a transplant recipient. We talk about advocacy. We talk about, you know, the effect that transplant might have on your ability to run a marathon. Like we talk about absolutely everything that you maybe never even thought to ask. And that is the number one resource that I point people towards just because I think it's so Rich. there's so much there and there's so much for people to learn we have pages and pages on our forum discussions of patients just talking back and forth having the discussions that you know things you can't ask your doctor about or maybe you're too embarrassed to ask your doctor about or that no one mentioned to you and you thought you were the only one so that's where I recommend people to go and that's TransplantlifewithaY.com. You beat me to the punchline. I was going to ask, how can people find <laughs> You
0: sure <it>? did.
2: Yes, <laughs> Transplantlife, L-Y-F-E.com. And then
1: how about you mentioned the social media a couple of times. What is the social media handle? And
2: also, what is you?
1: How can people find you if they want to connect with you?
2: Yes. So Lifebulb, we are all under Lifebulb's social media on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. It's Lifebulb, L-Y-F-E-B-U-L-B any social media platform you can think to look of us YouTube we're there and then (laughs) I am most active on Instagram at the Allie Emerald
0: I love that. Um, we always like to add a quote and several things that you, you've you said throughout this conversation just kept bringing me back to this one quote that I, I just love and adore. So don't fix it if it isn't broken, right? So the quote is, we're wired for story. In a culture of scarcity and perfectionism, there is a surprisingly simple reason we want to own, integrate, and share our stories of struggle. We do this because we feel the most alive when we're connected with others and being brave with our stories. It's in our biology. That is by Brene Brown. I love
2: that. I love her. I,
0: mm. I know. No <laughs> <Me Okay. too. laughs> oh, that's an amazing way to end. Yeah. No, thank you so much, Alicia. I really appreciate you jumping on with us and telling us more about Transplant Life. So Tiffany, can you close us out with a Likert scale for our episode? Uh. I would love to. So Alicia, I don't know if
1: you've, uh, you've listened to us, but we like to include a Likert scale uh, in each episode that we do really trying to um, just kind of gauge how we're doing for the day. And often these are come right on the spot and this is, uh, this is no different. So I'm going to say on a scale of your annual appointment that all of your numbers are peak. Everything's great. Your doctor says you don't need to have any extra tests. And in fact, we, we can take some tests off next year. And you leave there whistling and feeling well Two, You have the anxiety of the white coat anxiety, your blood pressure's up, rolling in, can't find a parking spot for your appointments, and you forgot your meds at home. Where would you be uh, on the scale today?
2: Um, I am probably... It is the beginning of December, and your doctor just told you you're going to be home for Christmas and get to have a big Christmas with your family. That's where I am. Yes. We're doing pretty good today.
0: Good. Yay. That's awesome. That's
2: great.
0: Yeah. Okay, Tiffany, your turn. Where are you I at? I think I thought it was your turn, Kristen. Oh, no. I'm going to jump in and I'm going to say it's your turn. <laughs> yeah.
1: Okay. I'm going to say that I am on campus, found parking. My doctor's running late for my appointments. And I have back to back. So I'm a little, I'm a little anxious because I know that if I'm late to one, that's just going to throw the whole day off, but it's outside of my control. So I'm trying to be okay with it. Kind of in there.
0: (laughs) Okay. All right. I I would say that I am a little more on Alicia's side of things. I am, I've gotten the clearance from my doctor to get back into working out and doing something that brings me joy. So that's where I'm at. Well, thank you again, Alicia, for joining. It was a pleasure to meet with you. And this is just one of the super cool things about this virtual world we live in is, I mean, could we have imagined this 20 years ago, connecting with someone on, you know, in Canada about Mm -hmm. your experience. And so thank you again for sharing your story and for sharing the community of transplant life with our our transplant patients and, and listeners. Yes, thank you for having me. Beats by Transplant Social Worker, hosts Kristen and Tiffany, and affiliated guests and programs expressly disclaim responsibility and shall have no liability for any damages, loss, injury, or liability whatsoever suffered as a result of your reliance on the information contained in this podcast or in any media, and none of the persons and entities noted above endorse specifically any test, treatment, or procedure mentioned in the show. Always consult your own treatment team or institution for guidance on your individual care and or practice and policies.